Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of The Cheeky Natives. This is Alma Nelisha Tole and I am... Doctor. She always makes this correction. Uh, Dr. Alma Nelisha Tole. I've had a long day of doctoring, so I'm actually okay with not. Um, and we, Audrey, we have Letlokonolo, who is the other half of The Cheeky Natives Hello. here with us. And we have a wonderful guest. So stop saying special, because I say this about every guest. So I'm just trying to expand my vocabulary okay. a little bit now. Um, we have a wonderful guest in studio with us today, Carnita Loxton, who is the author of Being Lily. And also the author of Being Carrie, right, which is the book that she wrote last year, and Being Lily is a sequel to that yes. book. So I think we're just going to spend a little bit um, giving an introduction. Mm-hmm. It's like... Uh, Juanita uh, Loxton was born in Cape Town, studied law at the UCT and worked as an attorney, predominantly in the financial services industry. Obviously, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> More recently, she has trained and worked as an executive coach. Her first novel, Ben Carey, uh, was long listed for the 2018 Nine Mobile Prize for L- Literature and shortlisted for the 2018 Herman Charles Bosman Prize. Being Lily is a sequel to her debut novel. Hi, Juanita. Hello. Thank you for talking to me. Yes, How are you doing? Nice to have you. We see you flew in from um, Cape Town yesterday. Yes. How's that going? Yeah, it's going well. I'm really enjoying it. It's hot here. No one told Cape Town that it was time for summer. <laughs> so I arrived here in a puffer jacket and now I'm sitting here in a tank top. So it's fantastic. <laughs> and how has how, your, your day been? I understand that today you went to do an interview. Mm. I had an interview, so I've just got back there. Um, traffic was crazy. Welcome oh, to so, Joburg. So Shout out to Joburg. Bit of a shock. Cape Town mm. traffic is um, also quite special, if I can use that <laughs> word. But yeah, I think Jovo might be might have something on us. Oh, okay. So this is your second book. Your first yes. your first novel was called Being Curry, mm-hmm. um, and it was published last year. Yes. And that was your debut. It was. Yes. And it's been so well received. It's been long listed for the Herman Bosman Prize. Um, and just a couple of other awards. So what's the transition been like from being a debut novel to now your sophomore novel? Well, it's I can't really tell the difference because it all happened so quickly, to mm. tell you the truth. So it, does, it feels like an extension of being carried for me, um, which has been wonderful. I haven't had time to really stop and think about it. But everyone that, has, that I've met, from fellow writers to readers, have been very welcoming and very warm towards me. So it's been a fantastic experience. Um, And for me also, coming from having trained in law and having had a career there, to start over in something new in my 40s, it's quite a special thing because I think we so rarely get an opportunity almost to start over, to be new at something. So that whole feeling of being new, it's like doing articles all over again. And why the change, right? So you come from a very, you know, what people would call the noble profession. (laughs) Why the change from law, particularly in the financial sector, to becoming a full-time writer? It it wasn't that conscious a decision. Um, Because I practiced law and I worked for Sunlum for many years. And then I... We had, I had my oldest son, he's now 11, and I had this idea that I was going to do everything. So I was going to be this fantastic hotshot lawyer, and I was going to be this amazing mum and all of that. And then I came to my senses a little bit, and I, I did work as a um, freelance attorney, I'm not sure what, as a consultant. A consultant, yes, yes. I've already forgotten the terminology, <laughs> but I was a consultant for a long time. And... Um, 
I didn't enjoy it as much as being a lawyer inside a inside a business because I found that inside a business I really enjoyed the day-to-day -day activity and I enjoyed working with people and I enjoyed that I guess creative part of being a lawyer where you solve problems pragmatically and you know that kind of it really spoke to me um, being a consultant was quite different it's kind of you know people send you emails you do the stuff you send it back there wasn't the same satisfaction in it for me and I'd always written little bits as a uh, growing up but it was more sort of observational stuff for myself um, but having that gap and looking for something creative um, led me into creative writing and was learning that as a craft but it wasn't ever with the intention of becoming a writer it was sort of I guess when you've got little babies <laughs> survival and sanity so it, it's come almost by accident and then how did you end up publishing? So how did you move from it being something that you just did, yeah. you know, as a creative outlet to publishing being Kyrie? What was the inspiration behind it? Yeah. And for people who haven't read the book, yeah. uh, can you just give them a little bit of an idea about what, what being Kyrie is about? Okay, so the, the journey to um, doing a novel in itself was quite a, a one of luck, actually. It's quite an uh, extraordinary story for me, even when I tell it, mm -hmm. is that I found... Um, an online sort of eight-week creative writing course where you, you practice different styles of writing and it was run at the time um, through Get Smarter but Mike Nickel was the one of the conveners there and I did it and I loved it um, because it taught me how to write mm -hmm. in a sense not how to write is, is putting it too simplistically but how to build a character how to do those kind of things and I loved it but when the eight weeks were done, it was done. I thought, yeah, that was quite an interesting experience and let it go. And then I had um, dinner, just coincidentally, with um, an editor called Claire Strombeck, who also worked with Mike on this um, online course. And she said to me, don't you want to try and write a novel? And I laughed at her as you would at the <laughs> beginning of a dinner when somebody says that mm -hmm. to you. And um, she said, because we're doing a masterclass where you come up with an idea for a novel and every month you send us however many thousand words you've written and we have a look at it and we give you feedback and the idea is by the end of the year you have a manuscript. And I completely dismissed it because, you know, like a novel was just too big, too out of my frame of reference for what I could write. But you know how things change from when you have starters to by the time you have desserts? Mm -hmm. And that's what happened. So by the time dessert came around, I was all gung-ho. And I said, like, yeah, cool. I'm going to write a novel. It's going to happen. It's going to be amazing. Mm -hmm. And then she said, yeah, but it starts tomorrow, <laughs> this program. Um, and of course, by the next day, in the cold light of day, I'd already signed up. And she said, well, now you need to have a framework for your novel. And it pretty much happened like that because the program had deadlines. And I'm quite, maybe it's a legal background, but, you oh, know, yes. it's deadlines. And also I'd given my word, I'd committed to it. Mm -hmm. And that completely switched it from just being something that I was doing for fun, but into something that I'd committed to doing. I'd, I'd told somebody, whereas before it had all <laughs> been in my head, you know. Um, and that worked. And by the end of the year, I had a, I had a manuscript. And the idea for, for being carried came from advice that um, Claire had given me initially she, when I said, oh, I don't have a story. I haven't got something that I've always wanted to, mm -hmm. to write. Um, and she said to me, well, write what you're interested in because it's got to be something that sustains you over all the time that you write. Um, and what, I guess maybe it's a time of life that I'm in, but what caught me is the support that women friends give each other. 
so you know I had this idea that I wanted to write a story of tight women friends and, mm -hmm. and something that came out of that and I had this idea I was going to write a Cape Town Sex in the City mm -hmm. I was going to be all like sexy and dresses and clothes mm -hmm. and the whole thing and then I couldn't write that much sex and the dresses sort of fell by the wayside um, and so I created this group of friends which is Carrie, Shelley, Lily and Di um, and that's where it started and because also what does interest me is relationships, relationships between people, between parents, between uh, in a romantic sense also. And so the story developed from there. Um, also Carrie, Carrie's story is she is married, she is estranged from her Muslim family, um, she lives in Cape Town, Bloberg Strand, and her crisis comes on Valentine's Day because she's a big Valentine's Day kind of girl. She's romantic. Yes. But her meltdown comes on that day. She finds out that her husband's had a one-night stand and mm. that her grandmother's died. And this um, ap apocalypse draws her back into her family that she hasn't seen for 10 years. So the story is about how she tries to reconcile her, her identity within mm. herself and then also her relationship. Where Being Lily, which is my newest book, uh, comes in is that Lily is Carrie's best friend mm -hmm. and she is getting married um, a first time 38 year old 39 year old <laughs> doctor who is cynical about this whole love and marriage mm. thing never thought she would do it um, has now found herself in this whole wedding vibe and going what I call Bradzilli, yeah. Lily Bradzilli so that's the one part of it is that why in this day and age do we still get married mm. what is the impetus for it because there's there really is no need, if, if I guess, if you take out the sort of religious mm. need for it. And then also Lily has decided not to have children. Mm. Um, and that gets put under some pressure when Owen's ex arrives with a kid that could be his. So it's a, it's a story written about love and relationships, about whether you should get married and about children. And it's kind of half serious, half tongue-in-cheek. And that's, I guess, that's the gist of it. Yeah, actually, this is like quite a great segue to go into the conversation because you at least you've summed it up nicely, right? Mm -hmm. So, Alma and I normally like we finish books and then we have like our long conversations okay. about, oh my gosh, I'm so frustrated, or oh my God, <laughs> like what do you mean, right? And I, I, I finished the book and I phone her and I'm like, listen, you need to finish this book because we need to have a conversation. Okay. Uh, particularly about the characters, I think that you spend quite a bit of time like molding yeah. and creating these characters. Yeah. And obviously now I'm interested to read Being Carrie because I want to see like how the dynamics and the relationships yeah. work yeah. there in comparison yeah. to Being Lily. Yeah. Right? I mean, the first uh, thing to talk about is what you've already alluded to, right? So you wanted to explore these ideas of marriage and our understandings mm. of marriage, right? And through these various people, because we have Lily, mm. who is about to get married. Yes. We've got Di, mm. who is in a situation. Yes. <laughs> uh, we've got Shelley, who seems to be happily married. Yes. Uh, and then we've got Carrie, yeah. who also, it's quite dubious, but yeah. it seems it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's getting there. Yeah. So why was it important for you to, to sort of speak about these different forms of marriage we're taking a short break do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process their path to publication and of course their newest novels hi i'm marissa meyer best-selling author of the lunar chronicles and i would love for you to check out the happy writer podcast 
where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. I think because, um, especially when I was growing up, um, which is maybe a bit later than we <laughs> growing up, but you know, there's, there's this idea that when you get married, it's not that you're happy ever after because, you know, that sort of slipped away from you quite quickly. But there's this idea that when you're married, you settle. Mm. And not settled as in, you know, you're not getting what you want, so therefore you're settling for that. But that, that your life is now settled and stable and that things are just fine. But obviously it's not. I mean, you see people get divorced all the time, right? So that's not an issue. But I wanted to show um, with different relationships in different stages of it, making it work or not making it work, to sort of lift that. Um, wedding veil, in the sense, you know, the corporate veil. Yeah. <laughs> I know, lawyer sitting right here. <laughs> so it was kind of that to just like you know, just bring a little bit of nuance into what we see all around us all the time. We've all got friends in various stages of mm-hmm. happy ever after. Yeah, or not so happy. Or not so. Happy, and I yeah. mean, it's, it was interesting because there were a lot of unsuccessful relationships in this book. Yes. Um, that just challenge your own ideas of what a happy marriage is, you know. So you have a couple that chooses to reconcile mm. following an episode of infidelity, and you have a couple that chooses not to. And I, I, I was wondering, you know, if the one couple's more successful than the other, or they just living out their truths, mm. you know? Yeah, but also, like, when I think about the engagement between Alan and Anne, and how, you know, he was like, you're the love of my life. I was like, how? Di- what? Yeah. Like, also, the, 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 like, weird compromises that women make in order to appear to be graceful and nice, you yes. know? So, I don't know if I would have been so nice to have gone to this, like, engagement party where Ellen is going to be with this woman and he's... She, I felt like, you know, it, it speaks to this idea that women are always wanting to be graceful mm. and we're always wanting yeah. to be nice. Even to our own detriments. You know, she could have gone without hearing him speak about how this woman is the love of his life. Yeah. I've never He's, been this happy in I've my never life. Been this happy. But She's my soulmate. <laughs> I think the big difference is that Dai's got children. Mm. And I think for parents, whether you're a mother or father, I think children do, um, once the relationship has fallen down, um, people do still do things that they wouldn't otherwise do because of those kids. Mm. And Dai is motivated by keeping this, we are all nice and we are all getting it's on. It's all a happy, happy, happy yes, family. Be, because, exactly, it is the whole playing happy family story. <laughs> and I, I wanted to to lift that out also because, you know, we all see what we see. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes to just to look a little bit behind what is mm-hmm. happening there, maybe it isn't what you see. Mm-hmm. I mean, in speaking about relationships, for me, it's important because I think the men in this book are trash. Oh. Rage, they are so trash, right? Oh, so we've got true. this encounter yeah. of the Alan and Alan being problematic because I think Alan could have handled it differently. Mm-hmm. I really think that Alan, uh, Alan didn't take into account Dai's feelings mm-hmm. when he said that. Mm-hmm. And also it's this idea that sometimes men just shoot from the hip, right? Yeah, mm. I'm a bit sad because in a sense, you know, I really didn't write them to be trash. I don't feel trashy <laughs> about them. I, I've got quite soft feelings for them. And, and with Alan in particular, you know, I almost wanted to write him, he is madly in love. 
Mm-hmm. And I think there's there's always a cynicism that comes sometimes with mm. second marriages, third marriages, mm. whatever, wherever far down the line you are. Mm. And I wanted him to be caught up in this second mm. chance. Mm. And because it does happen like that, not mm. maybe to all men, but to some men. But the stereotype is often that it's women that get caught up in this mm. love and the yes. whole fantasy that it's all going to be fantastic. And I wanted to, to have a man that was maybe a little bit in touch with his feelings. And... Why can't it be a divorced guy mm, that mm. goes to See, I suppose the other difficulty is that we know this narrative, like, just in society, yeah. right? That um, women are always extending grace to certain people, right? Yeah. And then men act in unbecoming ways, yes. right? So for me, I did not necessarily have an issue with the caught up in love yeah. bit. But I think that... The manifestation of the caught up in love was yeah. trashy. Yeah. So he could have, he could Especially have been. Yeah, he still comes over. Like and, yeah. the coffee situation, you know. For me, I was just like, it's like he I knows. Agree with you though. I feel he like knows that 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 Di has this like that she has a soft spot for mm. him, you know, and that she's she's trying to not appear to be bitter yeah. and she wants to be the good person mm. because she also is the one who couldn't move on from yeah. the infidelity, yeah. right? So she's already carrying that burden yeah. that I couldn't move on yeah. from this infidelity. Now she can't also be be catty and be petty and be all these yeah. things. She might really want to be on the inside. Yeah. And then he still wants to come over for, like, you know, it's just, I felt like this man wants to have his, like, yeah. bread buttered on both sides, you know, so he's he can move on mm. and have this woman that he's in love with, who's his soulmate, but you're still taking up Dai's time and, and, like, asking her to do this emotional labor because you come over while she gets ready. I read that, and, you know, when her friends were shocked, I was like, I am in full agreement with Shelly's face. Yeah. I'm like, this doesn't make sense. But I love that you say that though because um, I, I agree. I, I agree with the sentiment, mm-hmm. um, and part of why I have these group of friends mm-hmm. is to lift that out. Mm-hmm. Is to say, hey, what's going on here? Mm-hmm. Um, so that because that I think is the strength of friendships. Mm-hmm. So that we all do things when you're in a particular moment because you're caught up by whatever feelings it might be. That's not objectively mm, you know mm, the, mm. the right thing to do in that moment mm. but you do it whether it's in your career or in your relationships or with your children but for as long as you've got or hopefully you've got that friend that lifts mm. it out and says hey listen maybe that's like a ridiculous <laughs> thing to do and yeah. you know so I agree with what you're saying mm. but in a sense it's almost I wanted it to 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 be like that because mm. it does reflect reality mm. Um, mm. but I wanted her to have the benefit of somebody calling her out on it yeah. I, I, I find the female friendships particularly interesting in this in this book I think um, often people want to have the facade of the happy marriage and yeah. the great lives these women really don't they're, yeah. they're very honest with each other like I think honest even down to their sex life. <laughs> They're very honest with each mm. other, even with, with with their difficulties. And I found that that to be very interesting. Mm. That you know, in especially in, in very like insular communities that mm. are quite privileged mm. and that feel the pressure to mm. maintain the facade of, yeah. of perfection. Here's this group of women that are just like letting rip. I mean she tells her friends Lily tells her friends on WhatsApp about Owen and all his shenanigans. Yeah. She doesn't hold back. Yeah. And and I'm curious as to why you chose to have so much honesty in this group of, of, of friends. Well, I think maybe just the optimistic side of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, 
I have found a lot of value in my own friendships mm -hmm. and I found them to be deeper as I've gone older. Mm -hmm. So the quality of the friendships that I've got at this point in my life is completely different to when I was at varsity or just sort of high school kind of thing. Then there was a lot more guard guardedness. Mm -hmm. But I found that as I've got older, um, the women that I've got to know have all realized in a sense that nobody's life's perfect. Mm -hmm. So they don't let it hang out with everyone. But um, the, it's it's a lot more open with certain individuals in a in a group. Mm. So I think it, it part of me is optimistic about it. Mm. I hope that that is what happens within certain groups of people. So. I've experienced some mm. of it, mm. and I've heard other people talk about it. And I guess also in a sense, I want to model it. Okay? It's a really yeah. refreshing view of friendship. I think that female friendships get a lot of bad rep. You yeah. know, they get a lot of bad rep about how. Um, women are just not supportive of yes. each other, we're catty, you know, we're, there's always frenemies. Yeah. Um, but with them, they're really, really honest about the ways that they yeah. feel about each other. And you get, you get a sense of authenticity in their friendships. So that's why they can call each other out and call each other to be accountable. And there's a lot of accountability as yeah. a theme yes. in the book. People are always calling each other out. Yeah. Always calling each other accountable. Look, also, Except for... Um, <laughs> it's also, I think group friendships mm. also do go through particular phases. Mm, mm, mm. So there might come a, phase, a time where things are a little bit out mm. um, because a friendship is just a particular kind of relationship mm. in the way that I see it. And so at this particular time, they see each other a lot. They've got a lot of overlap. So in a sense, it's easy to be quite mm. close and connected, but things might change. Mm. And um, I mean, in so, some ways yeah. it has been right, because with Carrie moving to London, yeah. there was quite a bit of a, a change in the dynamics yeah. of friendship. Mm. And, you know, what I always was wondering is whether Daya and Shirley were their own coupling yeah. and Carrie and uh, Lily yeah. were their yeah, own yeah, coupling. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it seems that Lily and Carrie have quite a lot of conversations. Yeah. Although they have this WhatsApp group, yeah. it just seems like um, Lily would know more about Carrie than yeah. the others may have necessarily. Yeah. Because sometimes those are the dynam dynamics of friendships that yes. you talk to certain people about certain things. Mm -hmm. They are honest with each other, but there are certain things that only Lily will experience that other people will not experience. Yeah. You know, I'm thinking about the scene where Lily was crying on the FaceTime conversation mm -hmm. and how like, perhaps it would have been a different conversation mm -hmm. if it was with Di. Yeah. You know? I think that's very astute because it is how, it is how I wrote it but it's also I guess, how I've experienced friendships, mm -hmm. is that you have got different connections with different friends, mm -hmm. um, and they're not, one is not less valuable than the other, but they fulfill a different aspect mm -hmm. of friendship. Lily, Lily has a very unpopular view of, speaking about the evolution of friendships, right? Mm -hmm. Lily chooses not to have children, yes. and she's in the social circle yes. where everybody has children and, mm. and it comes up often you know mm. even in their criticism mm. of her yeah. when when they don't like something that mm. she does then they say but it's it's because you're not a mother you yeah. don't understand yeah. um why did you choose to make lily who is this you know successful woman that has all of these things going for her why did you particularly choose to make her childless um it's interesting because it goes back to that whole idea that you know characters can just go off and do something without you as a writer. Mm. So you, you know she, the whole she, story. She told her own story, yeah, basically. But, but it wasn't like that. It's because when I created these characters, it's like when you've got friends, mm. these characters become my friends. Mm. And so I, I can imagine what they would do mm. and what they would say. 
and what they would shop and wear and all of that. And it would be uncharacteristic yes. of someone and like Lily yes. to and want she, a child. She was, in my, the way that I built her, she was the kind of person that would say, but it's not important to me. Mm. But it's fine if you want to do it, and I'm happy for you, but this is my choice. She was, she is independent, bloody-minded, <laughs> independent. <laughs> she does what she wants to do. She mm. knows her own mind. Um, she knows what she wants out of life. She is slightly neurotic, not likable always, mm. um, quite bossy, but she made decisions for her life and she goes out and seeks to mm. fulfill them. And so it wasn't so much that I chose for her to be like that, but it was, that was right for that character. Mm. And the more it came out, the more it was... Yeah. But I think also what's interesting is even though Lily became this person, it mm. seems that the encounter with this potential child yeah. sort of changes a lot of things or Lily starts grappling with a lot of her own things like mm. about why do I really want to be childless like yeah. what does this mean mm. for me and stuff like mm. that and was that intentional was the the plot twist effectively yeah. for her to question for herself why it is that she made the decision yeah. not to have a child yeah I, I did it was intentional because I felt that it echoes how life works is that we all have very strong views on mm, something mm. i mean you know when you're 20 you think you know everything mm. exactly how your life's going to be and mm. what you're going to study and what you're going and then things happen to you that make you evaluate your choices um and sometimes it validates your initial mm. decision but other times it makes you change your mind and i think that is the fantastic thing about being human though is mm. that you can change your mind and so i wanted to give this steadfast character who was convinced that she knew how it was going to be. I wanted to give her a little bit of a shake and say, well, think about it. Do you, is that what you really want? Speaking of thinking about things, mm -hmm. um, Owen is an interesting character for me. He's very interesting. In I mean, I'm you using the word interesting? Are you going to say special? <laughs> <laughs> Owen is, is a problematic fave okay. for a lot of reasons. Okay. I think that he has his own personal insecurities. Mm. I mean, him and Lily come from very diverse backgrounds. Yes. Right? And he has his <laughs> own... She comes from a privileged background. Yes. Him not so much. Yeah. Him not so much, mm. but he's also not extremely disadvantaged. Yes. True, true. Yeah. Um, and he's, he's been able to move up in the world. Yeah. And it seems in some ways that Owen is white passing. Yeah, it um, seems it like... Seems like you, you know when you meet people and you're like, I wondered what her... Yeah. They origin, their origin... Yeah. Because they say he yeah. looks like he's, he's Italian yeah. or something Mediterranean. Yeah. So he is passing, right? But for me, like I... Interesting. Yeah. I, I have a problem with, with the way in which Owen, I feel like sometimes doesn't want to take full responsibility mm. for certain things. Mm. So... So Lily is very clear about certain things, right? Yeah. So Lily doesn't want to have children. Yeah. She's chosen to live her life this way. She's very clear, and I think she walks into this relationship mm. with this transparency, mm. and this is who she mm. is. She's 39. She really doesn't have time to convince yeah. you whether you're going to come yeah. on board or not. Yeah. Owen is flip-floppy about a yeah. lot of things. You know, he sort of... He does want children, but he wouldn't mind, yeah. you know? He... Um, doesn't mind having a big wedding but he would be okay with this yeah. morning he i feel like he really removes himself from making yeah. a lot of the big decisions yeah. and it makes him really unlikable to me particularly okay. when courtney enters the picture mm. i think that he 
that whole situation would not have happened in my house. Like, to start off with, that whole situation. And I'm shocked mm. that, that, that Lily allowed it to happen mm. knowing the kind of character that she was, mm. right? But I think for me, right, I think it's two things. I think on the one hand, I think that Owen is really trashy. Like, honestly, <laughs> Owen just needs to go somewhere else. Um, because I think oh. that Owen is, is too much of a nice guy, right? But I also Selectively think that, nice. Yeah, but I think Owen is also has unresolved feelings mm. for Courtney. Mm. And this is his way because you know he constantly refers to this idea of like uh we didn't end thing nicely and mm. you know this is the least that I can do. I'm like you don't owe anyone anything for the end of a relationship. And I think he, he's trying to um he is trying to make up for for the bad, right? Mm. On the one hand. But I think on the other hand, Owen is also like, was swept by Lily. And <laughs> sort of, when he was swept mm. by Lily, it, it, it sort of is like, you know, when you're in a relationship and one person is like domineering in the yeah. decision making. And for peace and compromise in the relationship, you say yes, even though you don't agree with that. And I felt that Courtney yeah. was the person to bring out these little nuances yeah. that Owen's actually not that cut up about. Yeah, that is, but my thing is also the, the way in which Owen chooses to assert himself is problematic yes. to me. So it's fine to say that you feel some type of way. And I also have a problem with this narrative of like, this woman came and she set me and I just didn't have any choice. He had a lot of agency <laughs> because Lily, if you, if you read the book, Lily is very like, very cognizant of the fact that people find her domineering. I think mm. that when you are a, a woman who is very opinionated and who's yeah. very strong, you cannot go through this world without knowing that people find you bossy yes. and irritating yes. and unlikable. Yeah. So Lily is very cognizant of that and she behaves in ways that are like, you can see she's constantly censoring yeah. herself. Yeah. She's like, I don't want to step on Owen's toes. Yeah. Will he be okay with this? So it's problematic to me that he waits for his ex-girlfriend to come into the picture to assert himself, right? Because he always wants to be like, almost like the victim. Like, you know, she chose the honeymoon location yeah. she chose to have this big wedding <laughs> like at which point was he gonna assert himself well so. you see the, the, i wanted owen to be the contrast mm. to lily mm. and i wanted to challenge the stereotypes mm. because if lily was the man in the store in the setup it would be i think more acceptable for an in charge bossy mm. i'm taking control i want to go here on honeymoon i've got money mm. to spend i'm the doctor you know? mm. and i and i wanted to turn that on its head i wanted to say why do we judge a woman mm. more harshly for being like that mm. and the foil for that is owen mm. who is fluid in everything mm. he's fluid in his identity in a sense in that um, he's got this mixed heritage, but he's not really attached to either. He's just sort of floated. He hasn't put down, made a definite decision about anything. Mm -hmm. Life, mm -hmm. life has he's just... He's sort of like Kentonian, you know. Like, <laughs> he's <from> just... <laughs> Also <laughs> coastal, like very coastal, like yeah. really relaxed. Yeah, so I wanted to have the contrast mm. of this really chilled personality mm. with, who has... In, in essence, allowed things to happen to him. Mm. He's been swept away by things. Mm -hmm. And contrast this with a very sharp personality mm. of Lily who has chosen things. Mm. She's chosen a career. She's mm. chosen to make a career change. She's chosen not to have children. And so here are these two personalities that come together that work exactly because they have these mm. two personalities. And I wanted, in the same way that I wanted to challenge Lily's steadfastness in an idea, mm. I wanted to challenge... Owen's almost jelly spine 
Mm. Mm. And you know, when you when you're not accustomed to asserting yourself, mm. it, I don't think it comes out necessarily in the way that it's intended. Mm. Or, you know, it, it comes out awkwardly in the same way as somebody that's um, maybe used to being mm. offensive. You know, it tries to be nice. It comes on this quite <laughs> like forced. So mm. I wanted that mm. contrast for Owen and Lily because I really wanted to challenge um, their sort of gender presentation. Mm. So they what so you know he doesn't deal with it well. He doesn't deal with but it he doesn't deal with anything well. <laughs> at it all, seems like at all. I just for me I, I I really was angry at Owen most of the time. Okay. Because I felt that Owen this yeah. jelly spine yeah. it really is actually the perfect description yeah. for Owen because I felt that okay so he's like you know Lily these people don't have da 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 mm. they stay much longer than they should have stayed yeah. in that house right and Owen doesn't even address yeah. Courtney to be like hey court well, the thing like, is, what I really wanted to do there also was I wanted to highlight how people change when they have the possibility of a child or they have a child Mm. Um, and it it's not a sensible logical thing because had yes. he would you know in normal circumstances I don't know what normal is but you know um, if somebody just arrives out of nowhere with a bag and says I don't have a place to stay and please can I stay with you you'd go like mm, maybe a night if you really like them but <laughs> when you're confronted with the possibility that this could be your child mm. it's it switches something mm. and I think oh and know what to do with it hmm. I also think for me it brought into into the four Owen's personal ch childhood thing yes. that he hadn't really yeah. dealt with so I mean Owen's father had had I mean he's this child he's the result of a mixed relationship yeah. at a time in which it was illegal yeah. so he gets raised by by a white mother yeah. but his father is not white yeah. and, and he knows it as well yeah. because he's not quite white he's white passing but yeah. he's not quite yeah. white you know and I don't think that Owen had ever really dealt with his yes. own feelings of abandonment. Yeah. And that's why he felt that he couldn't possibly yeah. take a stand in relating with with Courtney and Kiara because it would be like re-abandoning, yeah. you know, it would be that abandonment again. And I think for me, that's what came out. Yes, I agree. That, that, that was part of what I intended is that I, I wanted him to also face his lack of. Mm. His lack of parenting, his lack of mm. having a strong father and the realization that I, I can be better, I can do better. Even though I hadn't thought this whole child thing hadn't entered my frame of reference mm. until now, here comes the opportunity so I've got to do something with it. But it also seems that Owen, in the back of his mind, had a possibility that something like this could happen. Okay. Because when Courtney and Kiara show up, like it's not like a... I mean, he's surprised to see them in yeah. Cape Town, obviously. But I felt that the accepting of the possibility yeah. of a child was very, very easy. Yeah. Like, very easy. Like, yeah, it seems like it just felt like, for me, part of the, the discomfort yeah. and the wanting to help is that he knew he screwed up and yeah. may have screwed up yeah. to this extent. Yeah, and I mean, who, who of us, which of us, what is that? Is it who of us? Come on, somebody help me. But when, when you have some kind of issue from your past yeah, who and, and, yeah. and you know you could have stuffed up mm. there is I think a natural tendency to overcompensate yeah. and he people. did he did he a really lot of overcompensation yeah. so I, I mean, mean you he, know when you have a little bit of guilt mm. about when you were young and you really were not as clever yes. or as emotionally astute as you should have been and now you are faced with that person you think okay 
I think that Owen didn't really show up for Kiara in the ways that he needed to mm. when it counted. And and it allowed Courtney to behave the way that she did. Because mm. Courtney is problematic <laughs> AF. Like, <laughs> Courtney, uh, yeah. guys, Courtney would not have stayed a week in the house. Yeah. Like, no, no one night, no bags, nothing. <laughs> I would have been like, babe, I know a good Airbnb. Yeah. Like, well, I mean, also, Lily... Lily was willing. It's, this is Owen. Yeah. This is Owen's dodginess. Because Lily was like, they can stay in a hotel. Like, I can pay for them, you know? Yeah. Like, but he still wants to be like, but like, selectively macho. Like, yeah. no, I want to make this decision. And then, Courtney behaves in such problematic ways. And you can tell in how she relates to Owen, right? Mm. Like, she's very flirtatious in mm. front of her parents. Mm. I mean... Mama Who does that? Like, what is... Yeah. And, and Owen still then wants to just sweep. It's this thing that Owen does. Like yeah. He never wants to confront things. Yeah. So he still wants to sweep it under the yeah. carpet. And for me, the scene, you know, where Courtney just is ultimately disrespectful mm. to, to Lily, that would have been tickets for everybody. Because mm. Owen had an opportunity to step in and say something, right? And Owen was like, uh, 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 uh. Yeah. You know, like... So he's been using his voice and being this macho, you know, (laughs) assertive man this whole time and he's forcing Lily to accept these people just living in her house with no alternative plan. Lily starts collecting the child from school. Um, and, and, and Owen, for me, should have stepped in. He knows Lily's character. Mm. And he had an opportunity to step in and say something when Courtney was running her mouth in Lily's house. And, and then kicking, kicking. Ooh, wait, kicking. Oh, but that's, that's, Yo, that's, that's, Lily, that's, Lily. Yeah. Mm, Lily I would have let her go. Like, Courtney. Let her go Courtney. Yeah. Ooh, no. But it speaks to that, to that, yeah. like, that that lack of, of this this spine that Owen had, right? Mm. How, how, do you let, how do you let somebody come into your house? Mm. And I don't, I don't believe that, that Lily did anything wrong. I mean, mm. I, I just feel that if... If a child, there's a whole scene, we don't want to give away too much, yeah. but there's a scene where Lily has to really behave as like proxy parent, yeah. doctor, and she's, Lily doesn't have any children. She's no. being thrown in the deep end and she's, she makes a decision that she feels is most appropriate for the child. Yeah. Right? And I think also it speaks to how... And Owen didn't give her the benefit of the doubt. He had an opportunity to step in and say, this is who I know Lily to be, and it has nothing to do with her being rich or her wanting to assert herself. This is just who I know her to be. And he but it, it's also, it is also in the same way that it's a process for Lily to get to a point where she understands... For example, what I wanted her to understand is that money doesn't solve all of her problems. Yeah, and I mean, you, so, you portrayed so Lily, that quite so, well. So mm. Lily, I wanted Lily to go through a process where she understands that it's not all about what she decides and mm. what she can buy and in a relationship, not just what she determines. I also mm. wanted Owen to go through a process where he understands that he has to take a stand. Mm. Um, and he gets there eventually. He doesn't get there in the way that Lily wants him to. Or, or that we want him to, actually. Or that you actually. want him to. Or as, like, just a, whatever normal may look like, like a normal person <laughs> oh, who have reacted. Oh, but I think also... But, you know, I wanted... It, it's, it was a different process to get in there. Yeah. And I think there's... We, we have an expectation of what assertiveness looks like. Yeah, that's true. That's, that's and, true. And also what assertiveness looks like in a man. Mm. And I wanted him to be a little bit different because that is also his... 
the attraction that Lily has to him is that mm. she he's not like her father. He's not like any of the other men that she mm. knows. He is the guy who was the only guy in a group of women friends. Mm. But not a gay guy, which mm. is also the stereotype that mm. also comes a group of friends. You've got a gay man who is part of it. So he is different. And I wanted him to That's get there true. in a different way. But I also he takes think the, the very the scenic coastal the route. scenic coastal route. <laughs> yeah. He gets there. Yeah. I think also for me the this particular scene, right, um, really also shows another side of Lily. Because yeah. Lily could have thrown money at the problem, but I think hanging out with Shiara yeah. really does something for Lily in the way that Courtney yeah. can't and in a way that Owen yeah. can't, right? So she's also looking or searching through her maternal instincts, yeah. right? And being like, okay, let's try and see what's best for the child, yeah. right? Because, like, I mean, I think that Lily would have acted differently to the other scene, you know, where she yeah. is in her house and she sees what's happening. She would have acted differently being who she was. Yeah. She would have been like, pack your bags, get out of my house, you know. But she <laughs> wasn't like mom. that. Yeah, she wasn't like that. She was just basically like, okay, shit. I don't know what people are supposed to do in this yeah. situation, mm. but I also want to honor the person who is part of this situation. Yeah. Right. So it for me it also showed a different side of Lily mm. in and, the way that we know. And Lily. a growth, right? Because Lily is so used to being in control. Yeah. Things Lily has a plan. Like Lily has this a plan A, B, yeah. C and D. And she's she learns, right? Because I think the people in her life sort of acquiesce her. You know, yeah. they Lily's And a I little, understand with friends, you know, you understand one is the organizer, one goes yeah. along with everything else, one maybe just drinks too much. And so she's a little bit it. spoiled as well, right? Yeah. Because the way that Lily speaks to her parents sometimes yeah. I'm just like you. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. said what to your mother? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah. Um and I think that the people in her life really acquiesce her, sometimes mm. to her detriments because yeah. Lily can be very not understanding other people's emotions yeah. and feelings because if Lily feels that this is the way that something should be, this is the way that it should be, yeah. and she's forced to grow because you can't do that with a teenager. Like, you can do that with adults because adults sort of understand, oh, this is your personality, this is what I will benefit from behaving in a certain way towards you. Teenagers don't feel that way. Kiara doesn't really care about because yeah. I wanted. I- I wanted to have Lily have this experience because mm. in the first book of being Carrie, Lily is a little bit, she's Carrie's best friend, but she is also a little bit of a know-it-all. Mm. In that, should have done mm. that. She's definitely still a know-it-all. should have done that. You should, you know? And so she she's is. always the one, um, I guess, that Carrie measures herself to mm. because she would know what the right thing to do mm. is. So I wanted to take this personality that's in such sharp contrast to Carrie. Mm. So somebody that has got a plan, but not just got a plan. He's one of those rare individuals who have the next step to make the plan happen. Mm. <laughs> She's one of those. And so I mm. wanted her to have the challenges of these people around her to say that, well, you're not always right. And there are mm. different ways to deal with it. And to sort of challenge her very steadfast views on everything. marriage. But I also she has steadfast views on everything. Like, I think all of these are initially set in stone it yeah. takes a lot for and she's not i mean she's not initially a very likable character she's not somebody that you would meet and want to be friends with i mean she is incredibly privileged from a wealthy family mm-hmm. she's good to look at she's got a now she's getting engaged got she's got the whole package mm-hmm. but i also wanted to challenge that because what you see isn't always what you get yeah, I like that she wasn't likable. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I know you like uh, reading <laughs> like, about like unlikable, unlikable characters. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, especially unlikable women. Because yeah. sometimes a lot of our reasons for disliking women are rooted in these very strange standards that we hold women to. Yes. 
So I, I like the fact yeah. that she was unlikable. It made me wonder why I didn't like yeah. Lily. Because if, if it had been the other way around, would I have disliked Owen mm. if he had Lily's personality? And I also like the fact that Lily knew she was unlikable. She was like, you know, I know people don't warm up to me easily. I know this about myself. Taking ownership of like, and not being... A, a, she was very unapologetic about yeah. it. It wasn't like, oh, I apologize. But she still got sad, and I liked that, because that was human, you know? She has yeah. her moments of weakness where she talks, she's talking to someone, she's like, yeah, people don't really like yeah. me. And I, I thought that was that was very true. Even as secure and as steadfast as whatever you are, I think it's a very human need to want people to sort of approve of you and to like yeah. you, and to not always feel like you have to prove that you're a good person before people warm up to you. And this is the contrast also with um, with Owen, mm. is that he is completely the opposite. He wants everybody to like him. He's that kid. Mm. that everybody likes mm. that the kids all That's like and, and so this for me was also the attraction between the two mm. because I think in friendships and sometimes in relationships you are attracted to what you don't have within yourself <laughs> and so they would be extremely different I mean he sees her confidence she sees his what she says as easygoingness not so much Jenny's part <laughs> interesting that the things that you can like or be attracted to in a person can also then Become the things that you intensely dislike mm. or that drive you apart from that person because they this have, is exactly what happens with them also. Yeah, that exactly yeah. happens. That she's initially attracted to him being easygoing when it benefits her, yeah. right? So when he lets her make all the decisions yeah. and she gets to yeah. boss him around, she loves it. When it's not working in her favor, then she's when know, somebody else is making the decisions. Not yeah. so much fun. But I think also what I really liked about Lily knowing that she's unlikable was where Carrie comes in, right? Mm-hmm. So she knew that she is, she's the, I know how to deal with this. Yeah. And literally she even has conversations. She's yeah. like, I'm going to say something, you're going to say something, yeah. this is how it's going to go. But she realizes that people don't function <laughs> yeah. like that. And that's where Carrie comes in, right? To, you know, it, ever so often she messages Carrie to be like, God, I know <laughs> what I'm about to do is not what I'm supposed to do. Yeah. So like, just speak me out of it or talk yeah. me down or something yeah. like that. And I really like the fact that she had the emotional intelligence mm. to know that, listen, I know the way that I'm thinking about this is not the way it's going to go down. Yeah. So yeah. let me talk to someone else about that. Mm. Um, I... Sure, guys, though, I must say, it hurts me deeply to trash talk Owen. <laughs> <laughs> He's a problematic okay. fit. Yeah. I don't lie. I yeah. struggled to see why Lily would ever land up with somebody like Owen. Like, <laughs> I was looking, I'm like... Opposites must just really attract. Yeah. Like, but you can also see the dynamics yeah. of why they work. There's yeah. they're that unlikely couple in your social circle who love each other dearly and nobody knows. Nobody what else gets it. And so her parents don't particularly approve of him, right? And that leads me to the other parts. They, I think the book subtly touches on <laughs> on like race me. dynamics. Mm. Right? I was about to use exactly those words and be like, you know, it's not a major theme in the book, but it's a. But it's you're a, left asking some, some questions because mm. I mean. Kari's their only non-white like mm. friend, right? And Kari's married to a white man, so mm. she has some proximity and yeah. some access to, to, to whiteness and to mm. privilege. These three make some interesting comments, and mm. I'm just like, where are you from? Mm. Um, when it's, it's, it's Di who starts dating... Andy. I, yeah. Andy. 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 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then they have, they have that incident... I don't want to give it away, but they have an incident mm. where... People's just low key racism becomes high key, you know? 
And but it reminds me of like really white suburbia. Like mm-hmm. that particular scene reminds me of exactly how it would take place They're in white suburbia. They're friends with a woman of color, so it's not that they haven't interacted with non-white people before, right? They yeah. with with black people, with with colored women. Curry, when I was reading this, I thought that she wasn't right. I thought mm. she was colored or mm. she was Indian, yeah. you know. And I'm like, so you've obviously interacted with yeah. people of color, like way <laughs> and the, yeah. I think what I wanted to do with it was not to I mean you use the word subtle and in a sense that's true but it's also for me a constant mm-hmm. in that these women are in their friendship bubble mm. they live mostly in a gated estate mm-hmm. um, so it's a very specific kind of community mm. there is a particular level of privilege mm-hmm. um, but even within that it's the 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 race elements live mm-hmm. like an extra like a ghost in a sense it's there almost part like you don't have to make a big deal of it mm-hmm. but i wanted to to include it because it is real it is how people live within bubble communities because mm-hmm. um, they didn't have white a black, communities. they didn't have a black friend in their social yeah. circle they're yeah. they're in south africa yeah. they're they're in the Western Cave. Yeah. They don't have a black friend. Like, the black person... Which is not... Untrue. It's not which untrue. Is true. Which is not untrue. And I almost felt that... would Should there be a token black friend when it didn't start off as a mm. series like that? Because what my intention initially was not to bowl the series. Mm. So when I started being caddy and I had this woman with these friends, my intention was very much to show her straddling these two worlds that mm, she was in mm. and so they were the that was the dynamic of it and then when i was done with it, i still loved these women and so then <laughs> came being lily so it was as much of a surprise to me as anyone else it's like oh crap they are still here <laughs> <laughs> you know so it, it was for me i guess partly what i've experienced as a Capetonian is that people do live in bubbles mm. and it you know People do know, well, how many black friends do you have? How many people of color do you know that you're not working with? Mm. It's a very real, very awkward question, um, but it is there. And I wanted to bring it out in my book, not to just ignore it, but it's, it's no, a real thing. I, I, I thought for me, what was really interesting about the subtlety, not mm. so subtle conversation was thinking about like, and this is a conversation that I was having with my friend. I'm like, you know, I'm reading this book, right? And obviously it's about like white suburban women because <laughs> only they can go on the way that these women are going on. It's harsh but <laughs> what was a very interesting conversation for me was about who owns our stories, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 what, what I wanted just to have a conversation about was the idea that you could authentically write a story about being Lily, right? Mm. Because we're saturated in a white world. Yes. So, like, these characters are believable. Mm. Like, we know these women. We know mm. them. But a white woman could not have written an authentic story about a black woman mm. in the way that you wrote yeah. being Lily. Yeah. But even when we read being, being Carrie, in the way that you would have written about Karima, yeah. right? Mm. Uh, and, and that's interesting. So f- I, I suppose my question is, who, I think who owns like who owns our like stories? The code switching for me, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the idea that you in these spaces, you enter these spaces, mm. um, and we have some proximity to to whiteness and to all that privilege by virtue of where you work, your education, or whatever yeah. else you have, in ways that they wouldn't necessarily have extended themselves of us, right? So 
the idea that we I could imagine this. I don't have a circle of friends that are like living in camps bay yeah. but i know these women yeah. like I, I wasn't shocked yeah i was sitting there I'm like oh yes i know it yeah. yes i know yeah. shelly um and maybe it's just that it's it's the way in which we as people of color have to navigate yes our lives in ways that white privileged people don't necessarily have to like they don't really will never ever interact with us in ways that would require them to study and be observant and come into contact mm. with us i mean how like when like when would they be able to write about a group of four women in Guguleta and it would be believable yeah. because you don't, they don't have that life experience. Yeah. There's nothing in their bubbles and their gated communities that would force these. Whereas you wake up every day and you interact with that. that but I wonder in the, in the essence of it, in the, in the essence of the issues that these women are facing, mm. I mean, I, I wrote them in a particular way in this bubble community. But I'd like to think that they transcend the universal issues. Yes, so, yes, yes, yes. So, yes, so for me, that that's the thing that I I think, or that I hope, anyone can relate to, mm. because I think the times are changing. The whole idea about that you must get married, people challenge that. Mm. The whole idea that you must um, have a child. So I think. So it, it it for me that is the universality of it. The themes are very. I universal. think yeah, the themes are very universal. Yeah. The story itself yeah. is is a white story, yeah. right? And for me, that was interesting to be like, yeah, like these women are. Believe- I've I've we know them, mm. um, in the same way that if you had written about four um, Cape Townian women mm. growing up in a Mitchell's Plain yeah. or a Balville, mm. yeah. it would have been. The same, right? Because mm. at least there would be a different element, mm. a different cultural element yeah. that comes with living in places like Mitchell's Plain mm. and living in Belleville. I think it made it more believable for me, though, that these were very... Because we, we don't often have access to privilege in, in the sense that you don't know their personal lives, right? Because you're not privy mm. to that. It's a very gated bubble, mm. you know? Um, but the themes were so universal that you could you could relate to... Shelly feeling the way that she did, right? Mm. You can relate to Dai and that whole strange dynamic. You could, because it's universal. I think that, and that's what made these. I mean, ordinarily, it wouldn't be a relatable story, right? Because you don't, you don't have that social circle. Yeah. But the themes are so universal, like dealing with with infidelity, dealing with infertility, mm. dealing with other people's expectations of what you as a woman should be, and the idea that you, as privileged as you are, are still having to deal with these strange patriarchal notions, yeah. right? As high achieving as Lily is, Lily still has to account yeah. to other people as yeah. to why she... Because people keep saying, oh, you know, you'll come around, you you know, yeah. you will want to yeah. have a child. But I did, I really did want to write, well, when I say I did want to write it, for me, it felt authentic to mm. write it in a bubble way. No, no, no. Do you, if you, if, this, you, if this, you understand what I mean. This is really what we deserve. Like, I think... <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Yeah. For, for me, it felt sense. authentic to have it this way because this is how these women would operate. Mm-hmm. But you, you know what? It's what I really enjoyed it is is that this is true, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So the women who lives in, in Camps Bay live in a gated community. Mm-hmm. They hang out with women who live in Camps Bay or the women who live in Clifton. Yeah. That is true. Like, yeah. they're not necessarily going to have a friend who lives in Kuguletu and they're mm-hmm. going to... Like, would the Kuguletu people have friends? <laughs> yes. No, no, that's true. Yeah. But I'm just saying, so it's like... A, it, it's, it's a different area. Mm-hmm. But I'm wondering, is it a, does it make it any less of a bubble? Because that is almost the South African phenomenon, mm. is that we have got these bubbles. 
happening and we they get closer and closer to each other and they they don't always burst but there's just like a little hand that comes through and this is Owen's so father coming from somewhere yeah, else so and he challenges not that. a hover part a hand, hand over part Elsie yeah. and he's just like not even Elsie you know like they would say Elsie <laughs> also I like I think Owen's dad challenges a lot yeah. of their own they're comfortable with with Owen because Owen is passing and yeah. he's he's got that possibility, right? So because of proximity, he's got a possibility. So yeah. even if you ask, like, you know, he's okay. He can fit in. He's fine. His father has a completely different lived experience to everybody yeah. else, right? So here are these fancy schmancy Clifton people in their Porsches. Yeah. He has this beat-up, banged yeah. car that has just been through the most. Yeah. And he's so unapologetic yeah. in ways that I don't think Owen has come to yes. yet. You know, he's his dad owns it. So when these people are shocked that, you know, he lives in a back room and they're like, you can you can almost hear them just be like, huh? did you sign the prenup? <laughs> Owen's dad owns it. Yeah. You know, Ricardo walks in and he's yeah. like, this is this is me. And for me, that's powerful because yeah. it takes a lot to walk into a space like that and not feel that you have to in some way assimilate. Mm. Right. And I think that's something that Owen is grappling with, mm. you know, because Owen is like, yeah, you know, I'm mixed race, but, you know, I've, I've been able to pass for a lot of my life. And Owen has a lot of deep-held insecurities. That's why mm. he always feels like her parents are disapproving. Mm. They think very little of him. He's paranoid Which about the fact Which they do. I didn't think, you know, I mean, we've talked now a lot about Owen passing. But I didn't initially think of Owen as being anything but who he was. So, in his mind, he's just Owen. He, he's not passing as anything. He's just the way that he grew up, that's what he knows, that's what he is. And it's, it's part of, in a way, this South African identity, mm. is that he is who he is. But other South Africans, us, we look at him and say, well, this is your heritage, this is where you come from. This is who you, you must you should be. be. This is who you must be. This is a certain mm. way that you must show up. But in his mind, he's had no connection with a father. Mm. He's had a particular upbringing that makes him the son of whoever, the brother of whoever that is who he is. So there's no, in his, there's no conscious passing, if, if you understand. No, no, that. no. And I think, so, and I so think a, the, the element, the element of, of passing is yeah. not for Owen. It's, yeah. for, it's for the people, people who are counting yeah, Owen. So, so this yeah. is what I'm, I'm saying. That's what we're saying. It's yeah. that it's the... It's the eyes that are on him. Yes, yes. Because yes. I mean, the, that's the what eyes that are saying on, about yeah. palatability. Yeah. That yeah. that Owen feels fine. Owen is never in denial of who he is. Mm. Like if you ask yeah. him, Owen brings his dad yeah. with his yeah. beat up car yeah. and his stories. He gives him money and everything. You know, it's just like, has a he story. Like, yeah. His dad's just like one of those interesting yeah. family I guess characters. I always think of passing as somebody that puts them out to be something that they're not in order to fit into a particular mm. you see so and, I, and for me there's a there's a difference there mm -hmm. with the expectations that people have of you from where you come from mm. and the comfort zone that you have in yourself mm. and mm. Uh, to my mind Owen is completely comfortable in who he is jelly mm. spine and all you know he shows up he is who he is but the South African that we have mm. is that we look at people and, and, you, want to box and, them. and you want to box them we, you, mm. you've got this so you must have that you must show up in this particular way you must have this particular kind of consciousness and so you must be embarrassed of because I mean yeah. I think that Owen initially struggles but I think he comes to a place of acceptance with his father because mm. 
this is he he has a full like understanding that this is he's not this is his heritage this yeah. is his father who lives in the Alsi River and this is whatever that's who he is you know and here I am and come here to lunch. Yeah. comes to lunch in in Camps Bay you know mm-hmm. and that's for me one of the most powerful moments in the book right because they they sort of skirt around the issue mm-hmm. of his dad you know and and you can hear that there's an air of disapproval when they speak about his dad these prim and proper mm-hmm. people and I think that he, he just gets to a point where he's like so what must happen because yeah. I'm related <laughs> to this person yeah. And, and, and he's not in denial at all about anything. And I think also for me, like the conversation about white passing is the the privilege that comes with mixedness in, in this context, right? Mm-hmm. So Owen also, his passing could be influenced by the fact that he was raised by a white mother, mm-hmm. right? So the isms and the, the mannerisms mm-hmm. are somewhat white because that's all he's known, right? Yes, but, so. Yeah. He, he's not necessarily projecting that, but if I was raised by a white woman, for mm. instance, like as black as I am, people, you, you, the, there's a certain thing that would come out of it, mm. right? Even in these privileged middle class backgrounds yeah. that we come from, there's a certain, you definitely are from of a certain other. area. How they, how they relate to Andy, for example. Yeah. I mean, Andy is the first, they make an assumption that he's the cop. <laughs> oh, he's a, he's, he's, he's many things. It's suburbia. <laughs> you know, it's a, he's many things. And even when they first speak about him, there's a little bit of like fetishing. They don't quite know how to place him, yeah. right? Um, and I mean, Andy's a successful black man. He's he comes there looking for property. He doesn't come. Also, in. he's Andy. I'm just saying. <laughs> it's just like literally suburbia. Yeah, like, like you know, Andy. Andy, and and like the way that they relate to him is even though he in many ways has access to the space, his access is very different. Mm. You know, and it almost seems like it's a little bit of an adventure for Dive. You know. Well, I, I I wanted to with Owen and the contrast with with Andy and Diswa. And delay. Um, I wanted to contrast that because Owen has been a friend for a very long time. Yes, he's in the circle. He's in the circle. Mm. And the same with Carrie. Mm. He's in the circle. Um, and so after a while, differences don't get noticed. Yes, yes. And so there will be conversations where there's an obliviousness about mm. the other backgrounds, different mm. backgrounds. Mm. Um, but because Andy's new and it's all of a sudden, in your face, so to speak, there's a much more a consciousness of what separates than of what connects. Yes, yes. and I, I guess that's what I wanted to tap mm. into, in the, you know, in the in the way that we live, the way that we experience people, is that the more you see someone, I guess the more you go, well, you're like us, mm. you know, mm. and you forget and you say things that maybe you wouldn't have if you just met them, or you know. I mean, when they go and visit Carrie's family. <laughs> I'm just like, what are you doing? <laughs> when they go and they visit, right, in, in a way that only people who live in their own bubble can behave, mm. right? So when they're shocked that, you know, that the, the, the sister-in-law is to say there's a second wife yeah. and that whole that even though all of their husbands have taken yeah. part in some sort of relationship with somebody mm. else outside of yeah. them, right? They're still so shook. They're yeah. like, oh my goodness, what? Yeah. And, it's, and it speaks to how in their minds... Carrie is just one of them. Yeah. Like she doesn't have this diverse background that's different to But it's also then when she does when her family does come in, it's like a bit of a reminder. Mm. Yes, that she is different. Mm. I mean, I, I really I don't know 
I want to say I enjoyed because I really. <laughs> I'm I, I scared really, to hear what comes next. <laughs> no, no, no. I really like, you know, I was talking to Alma and I was saying, like, we always read these, like, heavy books and, you know, mm. like, of, like, the work that black literature star has to do in mm. this country, right? Mm. Is that it has to cover really deep, intense issues, mm. right? And, 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 and this book written by a woman who is not white. Mm which has a happy ending is really important for me, mm-hmm. right? In such like, oh my God, like Unspoken Truth that we read, which has a happy ending. I'm like, yes, we can have happy endings, right? But also covers very serious issues in, in, in like, a, you only realize it later, you know? So when you read that scene and you're shocked and you ask, why am I shocked? Yeah. So it covers, it also then says that you don't always have to cover serious material in ways that make people need mm. to go and like close the book and take a seat and like go meditate post reading you know and so it's that it's it's the idea that there isn't one way to write our stories and i think often as a as a country and as a publishing industry we get so caught up in a specific type of story or a specific type of narrative right so it's not authentic if you are a black woman and you don't write about black women having these issues then it's not an authentic story so you know? what's interesting is um james baldwin speaks about this in one of his interviews right he speaks about the idea that uh, why he had to publish Giovanni's Room firstly in the UK before mm. he went to publish it in America was the fact that the publishing industry had created Baldwin as the black voice mm. and Baldwin's black voice has a particular market mm. and when he was writing Giovanni's Room about Giovanni in Paris mm. like and Giovanni not being black mm. People were like, hold, mm -mm, mm -mm, no, 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 we don't want that, right? Mm -hmm. And he speaks about the idea of creating this monolithic understanding of the black experience Mm -hmm. and who is the holder of the black experience Mm -hmm. and authentically telling the black experience. Mm -hmm. How dare black women speak about sex or enjoying themselves or a gated community because Mm -hmm. no, Mm -hmm. this is not the issues that black women face. We must talk about racism, we must talk about misogyny and it's it's that, it's the danger of just creating this single narrative that doesn't allow people to, I mean I would have never really thought about the lives of women in Texas. (laughs) I would have just never. White suburbia. White suburbia, I would have never really thought about it. I mean, because it just feels like it's a world that's so far removed from me Mm. that I never would have thought that, oh, wait, these people might actually have some similar, similar things to, or similar problems to... The things that my black girlfriends and I was talking yeah. about, you know, and, and that that was really interesting for me that I that at the end Lily, who's this privileged, very spoiled, sometimes unlikable yeah. white woman, had me rooting for her at the <laughs> end. I was just like, yes, go Lily, you know. I'm very glad to hear you say both of those things because um, I do think that there are there are ser- underlying serious issues, but I also I wanted to write about them in an accessible way mm-hmm. um, so that. It's, it's relatable no, no matter who you are, where you come from, or what, what your environment is, even though it does make you go like, oh, this is a bubble community, like what the hell are these people doing with all their Porsches? But to understand that even within that, there's a, a common humanity. Mm. There are issues that you face as a woman, not mm. all the same issues, but there is this overlap. And I think that sometimes within the society that we live in, it is useful to look at where we overlap. Mm. Because there is a lot of focus on where we don't. Mm. So we really enjoyed reading Bean Lily because obviously... Not uh, <laughs> Well, so for me, my question is, is 
what is next for the mm, sequel because yeah. like I, I felt like in our conversation mm. there is actually a lot that Owen needs to deal with mm. and I would like to sort of know Owen's backstory yeah, yeah like his know? mom yeah. uh, and, and that relationship and even possibly moving forward what happens after they get married and there is this addition mm. in their lives right Disney so have a pregnancy scare and yeah. so, many <laughs> so what <laughs> is next for Juanita I am working on being Shelly Oh, ah, and I'm working on her because of all of the women, she seems she's the most difficult in the sense that she seems the most frivolous, the most fluffy. All she does is shop and buy Louis Vuitton bags, and and I wanted I wanted to challenge that. I wanted to challenge that stereotype of this woman that's got nothing to do and nothing in her head besides what she's going to buy next. I mean, she's interesting because, you know, uh, she married a Jewish man. And it just seems like there's somewhat of a rebellious spirit to her. And what I also want, because she is married to a Jewish man, I also wanted to show that the straddling Mm. can happen within that gated community. Mm. It doesn't have to be as extreme as sort of black and white Muslim and Afrikaans. It can be much closer than that. Um, And also, because then also to understand with empathy, how that happens within our various bubbles that we live in. Mm. So we're waiting for Ben Shelley. Yes, hopefully. Is Dai going to have a story? Dai will have a story, um, but Dai needs she, a little bit of time. I feel like Dai should like end up marrying a black man. <laughs> that she doesn't fetish. Well, no. yes, yes. Or black oh. woman. Or black woman. Oh, Dai! I remember. Yes, or a black woman. So, you know, I think, but I do feel like Dai needs a bit of time. Yeah, yeah, Dad needs a bit of And Owen, are we ever gonna get it being Owen? No, <laughs> no. This is this is a women's story. Because I really like for me, I, I I feel that there is a lot of complexity around Owen. I'm glad that you say that because, um, you know the the, the protagonists in these books are women, yeah. maybe strong women. Yeah. Um, and so the the men do contrast with him. But it doesn't mean to say that they are less complex creatures. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, for me, Owen is a complex creature who does scrappy things, but yes. is a complex creature yeah. who I would really like to know. Because mm. I feel something happened in Owen's past, yeah. and many things have happened in his own past to construct him to be the person that he is, and uh, how we how we get to yeah, this Owen I mean, Owen I think here. Owen is a, is a very interesting personality, very interesting character for me also, because he is mixed race. And he doesn't have a clear identity. Yeah. And in, in South Africa, there's almost a demand to have a clear a identity. A clear identity, yeah. Um, you know, wherever you fit in, where do you fit in? You know, yeah. that it's it's harder to almost accept somebody that is um, Mixed. sort of vacillates. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is true, yeah. You know, so for me, he's, he's quite interesting of the almost next generation, mm. newer generation mm. of South Africans that don't necessarily identify themselves that closely. And Kiara, I'm really curious about. Mm. Kiara is a troubled child. Like, she really is a troubled child. She vibes a lot. And the vibing is not always. (laughs) Oh, this is when we need a camera. (laughs) Not always to her benefit. Mm. I think that she behaves in. Yes, there is that teenage element of like Mm. feeling that you're invincible Mm. and you're immortal. But there's also ways that she behaves that are very self destructive Mm. outside of her just being a teenager. And. I wonder, will, will Owen's presence, you know, because she's had her father, like she, it's not that she grew up in a mm-hmm. fatherless home, she's had a father, you know, 
And I mean, contrary to all the stories that we hear about all these girls who turn out interesting, and I use that word very loosely, because they don't have fathers. I mean, that's often the criticism that gets labeled at women who do things you don't like. Mm. It's always, you've got daddy issues because mm. you didn't have a father. She has a, a present father, you know, and she's just still a very troubled child. And I don't know if her parents are cognizant of... I don't think that Courtney sees it. Mm. I don't think that Courtney sees it. And I don't think that even Owen sees, you know, even when she's having all these, she has a lot of crises for a 16-year-old. Yeah. I think um, Kiara, for me, was such an interesting, such an interesting, interesting teenager because I think that when you're an adult and you look at a teenager, you almost want to dismiss everything as teenage mm. angst and, you know, it, what you'll get over it and mm. it's not like a real thing. But... Um, I think the more and more you read that teenagers in that particular time of life is one that is hugely anxiety driven. Mm, mm. Um, I mean, you read the rate of teen suicides are higher than any other in mm, South Africa, mm. I think. Um, and so for me, she was a really interesting character. And you know, you can't blame everything on your parents. <laughs> <laughs> but we should have a conversation yeah. about Courtney. But I mean, we've had so much conversations already. Courtney um, must fall. That's really <laughs> Courtney is problematic. Like, in a lot of ways. In a lot of ways. In the sense that Courtney is one of those people who knows how to weaponize her mm. femininity, right? So Courtney knows how to weaponize this idea that she's fragile, she's mm. vulnerable. She's very good at women. And the world has just done her in, right? Yeah. Courtney is just like, I have no part in anything that has There's happened There's no agency. To me. I mean, who wakes up one day and packs their child? Like, this is why Kiara is a mess. Like, yeah. she gets packed up. There's no forethoughts or foresight. Mm. And Courtney's the adult in the situation. She's meant to be the caregiver. Mm. And she completely absolves herself of that in that moment but when she's unhappy about something that Lily does then she suddenly just, this is my child this is my you don't have children this is my child <laughs> when you were leaving your child stranded and you didn't have a place to live you weren't taking you sound suspiciously like Lily <laughs> I'm just saying. I was no, but I mean, I was a very big fan. <laughs> Lily went through too much. Chris, I'm just saying, doctor. It just seems not approving of Courtney. No, do you know? I I felt very sorry for Courtney yeah. initially because I was like, it must take a lot. Initially, yeah. I was like, it must take a lot for you to just leave, yeah. up and leave, and just land in this place with strangers. But then the way she goes on to behave. No, but is, is this not is this not our condition though? Is that we judge other people's behaviors by our own standards? So you go sort of, what would I do in that situation? So not even. No. So it's not. No. It's not even. Okay. No, it's for me. It's not that because okay. it was for me the way that she could be very manipulative. Yeah. That that was really concerning yeah. to me. So the idea that she's in a difficult space mm. it makes sense, right? And then the idea that she reached out for help, mm. I could completely understand because we often make people feel bad for reaching out. We often judge people like, how dare you get help? You must just be so pathetic. And I didn't believe that. But what I did just find concerning was how manipulative she could be. She knew, she knew how to play everybody really well. So you like really feel sorry for Courtney, but Courtney's the same person who'll turn around and like insult you yeah. or flirt with your partner in front of your parents or say, or like then Jeff comes into the picture and like she meets Jeff on a plane. How much? You know, is, Courtney, just, Courtney is a lot. Um, so she, yeah. She's a lot. And yeah. not even because I liked Lily. Because like, <laughs> I didn't really particularly like Lily in the beginning, yeah. but 
just because I think that Courtney knew how to weaponize this idea of vulnerability, right? So even when she's being called to account, like, mm. okay, are you going to get a job? What's the plan? And then, you know, suddenly it's the tears and it's the, how could you do this yeah. to me? How can you don't, you know what I've been through? So now I'm like, you've been hard done, but like, what, I just struggled with Courtney. Yeah. <laughs> Which um, kind of intention. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm glad to hear. Okay. Courtney put me through a lot, yeah. right? and and I also had. To I think I released her at some point. I was just, just like, like, you know what? I'm not invested in you. <laughs> like I don't care what happens to you. No, I had to check. Courtney is the character that I think out of everybody forced me to check myself and my privilege the most. Okay. Because. I was like, oh, this is strange. Why would anybody do this? This yeah. sounds like such a funny thing to do. But then I was like, oh, you're speaking from a position of certain privilege, right? You're unlikely to ever find yourself in that kind of position. So Until you, you do. Yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, coastal behavior. <laughs> no, I'll pass. Jovan is strong. It's like, not a, none of that coastal waving. You're like, because women do that often. You just look, you're like, why would you do that? What yeah, is wrong with yeah. this woman? And it's, it's, it's not our, we're not conditioned to be able to empathize with other women easily. Mm. Particularly women whose behavior we don't approve of. Mm. We're not conditioned to empathize with those women easily. So a lot of the time when I felt like I wanted to judge Courtney, I was like, check yourself. <laughs> and, um, and maybe that, that was the purpose, right? That you write this woman who is so complex and has so much going on for her. Yeah, I mean, I wanted uh, Courtney to be a challenging woman. So yeah. that you couldn't, also couldn't dismiss her on the exterior. Because she's beautiful, she's, she's a beautiful. mermaid. She's a mermaid, and I, I didn't, go I didn't like, want. Mermaids, I didn't want her to be there. that easily dismissed. <laughs> I wanted her also to be, in her own way, a very powerful woman. Mm. Because she makes things yeah, happen. She, she does she, make things happen. Yeah. She gets Lily to stay with her for months. <laughs> yeah. Rent you free, <laughs> rent free, like, like obligation free. Lily yeah. fetching cooked, her y'all. child. She cooked. She yeah. was a chef. Please. She, she did cook. She, she complained wonderful. about the cooking but as well. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe she, she was cooking up something else. You know, exactly. She was just like the way to a man is to his stomach. I enjoyed I enjoyed I enjoyed the reckoning that I had to do with Courtney as a character because you have you kind of had to like die and you had to like yeah. Kira because she's nice, yeah. you know, they they're nice. Kiara's a nice child, yeah. you know. Owen is a problematic fave. Yeah. But Lily and Courtney <laughs> need to do the work to yeah. to I to, wanted to have to have for Lily to have a strong opponent, mm. even though I guess Courtney's not really an opponent. She is Lily's imaginary op- opponent. Yeah. So a lot of what Lily projects that Courtney's doing may or may not be happening. Mm. May or may not be happening. It's also true. And I so you, know, you gave it's part of me. What I was trying to say is that Lily gave some of her power away. You, no, that's true. That's but true. Lily also, I think, operated from a lot of privilege, right? Yeah. Because she she felt that in many ways she was in a superior position yeah. to to Courtney, yeah. right? Because I mean they were living in her house. Yeah. Lily was the doctor. Yeah. Lily had all of these things going for her. And I mean even when she makes the comments about Courtney's mothering, I'm just like, mm, mm, mm-hmm. yeah. don't do it, you know. Yeah. But Court, Lily also operated from a she. I think that Lily always felt that in many ways she was superior yeah. to Courtney. And then her paranoia arose from that yeah. because how does someone that you feel you're superior to come in and completely but, destroy? But I mean, Lily is also an, 
a complex woman and that she she has got all this privilege but she's also quite insecure and uh, so there was a lot of so so Courtney I think came to bring out a lot of insecurity in Lily like in that okay so I'm not necessarily domesticated I'm not the skinniest uh, I'm not as likable I'm not as likable you know like people people don't don't, yeah so I I also enjoyed that bit I mean Lily has also got her own family stuff she's got her own dynamics with her parents and so what I wanted to bring out was that was you know you see people and you make a view on their privilege yeah but 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 ultimately we even though we do live in these bubble communities and we are so different there are things that you can relate to I mean we we all can relate to a crazy family (laughs) or to you know that speaking of of a family dynamics I think it would be remiss if we didn't cover this you know Lily has a very interesting relationship with her family um her father in many she holds her father in high mm. in high regards i mean she holds him to a standard that is very loose for everybody else right so her father you know there's this there's a history of infidelity he doesn't treat the mom well and all the other men who do things like that she's very judgmental mm. of you know she's very like oh how could you let your husband do this man but her father gets to be made the exception for and i find that to be a very human trait mm. that the people we love dearly yeah. we make a lot of exceptions yeah. for and then her half sibling she's like weird about them mm. which is not not unbelievable i think that blended families mm. are difficult and i don't think that we're a society that has open conversations about blended families so i feel like her father was like well they're here now so you're gonna hang out with them or not and i mean when she gets moved by Charlotte's making that comment about how her sister's so smart yeah. and her sister's a doctor. I I was shocked. I was like, why does I didn't think Lily would care? You know, Lily often projects this this aura of just not being moved mm. by things. And it's like the smallest, simplest things that humanize mm. Lily. I mean, that moment for me made Lily more of a person to me, right? Because I was like, Lily, even you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, I did. I think that's part of if I go back to the thing that initially interested me uh, about the book is that I wanted to write a book about how things are changing in the times Mm, that we live mm, in, mm. not just about when you get married or when you have children, Mm. but what do families look like? Mm. What is the family construct now? Because all of the women, all of the families in this book are all different Mm. and none of them look like the kind of families that maybe we imagined ourselves having when Mm. we were children or you know the kind of families that our parents would have wanted for us but this is what we have this is what we're dealing with and how we sort of make peace with it um and also the exceptions that you do make for the people that you love mm-hmm. and the things that catch you mm-hmm. so it was important for me to lift out that the families were all different very different <laughs> yeah so at the chicken natives we uh, are an interesting bunch mm-hmm. because you know some people are like oh we'll give you more books or we give you popcorn da 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 um, so, um, I mean, some of our authors are really astounded when we do this in front of them. So, okay. like, uh, so how we rate books is mm. we give people land because we at the Chikinators are the land committee. Okay. So we deliberate okay. and we're like, okay, okay, which land does this? I one really deserve? didn't like what Courtney did. You know? Yeah, so therefore, I had to take off the next time. Yeah, okay. you know. So, so that this is how we. Well, I'm give glad then it's not televised. So you can see my face. <laughs> <laughs> I'll pull myself together. <laughs> so I mean, 
you we it's white suburbia that you speak about predominantly mm. in the book right some really wonderful areas yes you know, some that, really that rich you, areas that you think you could do some amazing writing in mm. um so at the chickenettes you've decided to give you a portion of camp space Oh, I'll take it. Um, <laughs> we hope you'll take it. Take it. They all have a party. <laughs> <laughs> you can be sipping on our mimosas at, at 10 a.m. like the woman in the book. Um, after gym. Yes, before spa. Before spa. I'm here for it. <laughs> um, but I think this is just to say that we. this is a book that we haven't really, a genre that we haven't really explored at mm. the Chicanators. And it really sort of forced us to read outside of our comfort zone and to ask ourselves some really uncomfortable questions. You know, why why we felt pressed by Owen yeah. or Courtney or Lily. Um, but also just that the themes are so universal that even as two black Joe Biggers sitting mm-hmm. reading this book, we could relate to a lot of the feelings that, that, that Lily and that Owen were experiencing and that it forced us to have some intimate questions, well, intimate conversations with ourselves, right, about what we think the gulf is between people who live in these gated bubbles and our lived experience and, and sort of the commonalities that exist in, in all sorts of human experience. And I think you did such an amazing job of, of doing that in this oh, book. Thank you. So we're quite excited to see what Shelley's doing. Mm, I can't wait to see what Shelley's doing. Uh, I've had such a great conversation with you. I don't think I've ever experienced having two people understand and evaluate and be so critical and at the same time um, completely understood the characters that I was that I wrote in this book. So it's and been an absolute privilege. Thank you so to. much. And I think thank something you. that we tend to do and want to create at the Cheeky Natives mm. is the idea of critically engaging with mm. literature. Mm. I think that there has been a really surface level of engagement with with, with literature mm. and particularly like, oh, we read a book and we're like, yeah, I enjoyed it, I enjoyed it, it, it. but not to talk about mm. the thematics mm. that the book covers, right? Mm. So this is part of... The, why we started the chickenators mm-hmm. um and i would spend hours on the phone talking about a book and then being like oh my gosh like wait maybe we should actually speak to authors about their books and be like this is what we think we read in the book this is our feelings about the book and share you know grapple and wor- work yeah. through the work with you and the realization that you don't have to be in the arts to have an appreciation for literature that mm. you can be completely outside of it but be able to critically analyze and appreciate the work because I think that will go a long way towards creating a culture that has an appreciation for the work that is art because like art is craft you know like writing a book is not hey I'll stay chilling with my friends and then I like I wrote this book there's work that goes into it and I think when you engage with work deeply you begin to appreciate the craft because I mean the fact that we were able to walk out of this and and, like have our own rethinking of what it means to be a mixed race Mm. man in Clifton Mm. you know is is testament to the the craft that's been put into the book I really appreciate you saying that because it, it is the first time that I've sat down with anyone and had such an in-depth conversation about the characters in it and it's made it's also challenged me to think about well what was I intending with it because there was an intention mm-hmm. um, but it's kind of that thing that sits in the back of my head and, um, and not always sometimes it's just a feeling uh, and then when you have the conversation with somebody to articulate it mm-hmm. it's it's quite an interesting process. So I, I really I appreciate what you've done and all the effort that you've put into understanding these characters. And it's so been fantastic. I mean, where do people get a hold of you? Do you have Twitter? What I, I am on Twitter. Um, I'm also on Instagram, and I mean, I'm not that hard to find. <laughs> 
What are yeah. your handles? It's QLED, Q-L-E-D. Mm-hmm. There's Twitter and Instagram is just Carnita. And if you get really desperate, I'm also on Facebook. If <laughs> you get really desperate. <laughs> so please go out and, and buy the book. We just want to encourage everybody to go out and buy the book. Please don't ask the author for a free book. <laughs> I don't have any free ones. <laughs> or a PDF because we've seen some shocking things yeah. on social media and we're calling them out. It's important to support the literature of people of color. It drives the industry. It yeah. creates a bigger platform so that the next time you have a book out, you have a you have a platform to speak from, you know. You you have like a market that they've been people who've bought your book, and it makes it easier for the next time someone who looks like Kanita yeah. who wants to publish. It your also book. makes it easier for publishers, mm. um, because you know they're in the business of selling books. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> please, so please buy books, guys. Please yeah, don't fantastic. don't don't borrow your friend's book. <laughs> don't don't do like a traveling library. Buy the book. I think it's really important. We always have conversations about traveling libraries and how. All 20 of us will read a book, but it's one copy because I've lent it to you, mm. you've lent it to somebody else. So if you're particularly moved by a book, buy it for your friend or just encourage them to buy the book. They can go to Bridge Books and use Cheeky as a code and get 10% off. Yes. So don't say we never did anything for you. Yes. All right. Um, thank you very much for joining us on this episode of the Cheeky Natives. Until next time. Bye.